From your local Houston BMW Center studios, welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. Your host, KG Smooth, with the uh, swagged out uh, Uncle Funky Larry Jones. He's a- I well, like what you got on there, sir. In the words of Dave Chappelle, I am all right with you driving, sir. <laughs> so I thought yeah. I'd have on my Greenwood Avenue, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, Black Wall Street sweatshirt for you today, sir. Yeah, that's that's dope. That's, that is super dope. We have on the uh, phone line a, a, a super dope individual. Mm-hmm. She's the founder of the Lorna M. Johnson Global Institute in Los Angeles, California. She's also a nurse midwife, a nurse practitioner, and healthcare executive uh, to join us today to talk about all things with the uprising with the combination of COVID-19. Ladies and gentlemen, Lorna M. Johnson is on the Public Affairs Podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's good to hear from you. Uh, what a time that we are living in. I think that uh, it's very interesting that you um, are on the field to fight for justice and against uh, the virus. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, tell exciting, us- very challenging time. Yeah, indeed. So um, tell us your concern with everything that's going going on, because, you know, I, I kind of had the, the same thing. Uh, the same concerns as you, as with COVID-19 on the rise, but yet what happened with George Floyd, you know, people was like, you know what, my eyes are open, I'm out here to fight against systemic racism and police brutality and police killing people of color. Well, as um, a phrase I use, I said, hand washing, masks, gloves, COVID-19 testing must be one of the, um, must be one of the instruments that we use to fight against the pandemic of COVID-19 and unequal justice. Mm -hmm. So we have this dual pandemic on our hands and it is important that we handle it. And how do we handle it? I am very concerned, of course, about young people going out there protesting and risking their lives. And I think they're doing a great job. We support them, but they also must use the precaution in order to stay healthy. So that's, very much in the forefront. And in terms of the, um, the petition that I have going, I started it a while ago when we had the surge in New York and nurses were dying, they were getting sick and they were quitting their jobs and they were not being protected. So I started this petition to support legislation to protect these healthcare workers that are working on the front line to protect us to make sure that they have the proper gears and protection that they need in order to survive all of this, whether it's through mental health therapy, grief counseling, COVID-19 testing, making sure they have the proper gear, making sure they have hazard pay. So that's why I started this petition, because if they don't, we don't protect these nurses, and if they don't stay alive, we will not have an infrastructure that we are going to need to protect all of us as well as the system to be able to take care of all people and the country at large. So uh, that's what started, um, how I started this petition. And and the petition is on change.org. I I signed it myself uh, this morning. Thank you. Lorna. Uh, So just um, just explain in layman's terms for for people uh, what the petition is. 
Okay, I just um, stated the petition is to really protect the nurses. Right. Nurses are on the front line, and some of them, as I said before, they are dying. They are not getting the proper gear. You, you've heard a lot about PPEs, yep. right? The PPEs are the masks and the gloves and the gowns that they need to protect themselves and their family when they're given care to our loved ones. So there's been a shortage. So we want to have this petition so that these nurses will be given the priority of service, just like uh, um, the military would get during the time of crisis, given the proper tools that they need in order to get their work done and to protect themselves and their family and all of us. Hi, Lauren. So it's, it's it, mandatory. Go ahead. No, I'm sorry. It's Larry. Uh, it, so do we have a shortage of materials? Is, is there not enough to, to to take care of the workers, or is it being held up somewhere in, in a big storehouse and we just need to get it out? <laughs> <laughs> well, there is uh, maybe controversies on that. You know, um, our federal government is in charge uh, of all the people uh, all over the country, and it's their responsibility to um, to make sure that all of us, are taken care of, and all of government fully funded response to this public health crisis is the government responsibility to make sure that the priorities and services that we need are given to us, both safety and economically. Mm-hmm. So, and for- so in terms of where the gloves are or where, where it is, you know, different. But, what, but what's so great about all of this is that our local government is not waiting on the federal government. They are jumping in. So I applaud all, applaud all the mayors and governors, most of the mayors and governors around the country that are taking responsibility in their hands and to make sure that the nurses on the front line get what they need. But at first when it started, they really, it was really bad. Nurses were reusing gloves, they were reusing masks and all of this. So the first go round, they did not have enough supplies that they need. And so that's where I jumped in and started wanting to cry out for them because they came to me. They were crying out for help. And so they were not allowed to speak or else they could get fired from their jobs. And you saw one of the, I don't know if you saw one of the incidents where one of the nurses were at the White House and she was expressing how she did not have the proper gears that she needed to, and she had a young child. And basically she was cowed down. So nurses are not allowed to speak. And so because they're not allowed to speak, they're going through a lot of suffering. And so we, as a people like yourself, with your, the radio station, you can get this message out. And you can help to listen to what the nurses are saying and what their needs are and help us to sign this petition and get this going to make sure that the nurses are getting what they need. So, Lorna, with all of that, and we have a vast group of listeners on the podcast are you allowed to take mm-hmm. uh, material from private entities? I, I see a lot of celebrities and people who are writing checks to do this, that, and the third. Is If I could write you a check to buy the mask, is that all right? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I have a nonprofit myself, and I would gladly do, gladly do that and distribute it. So we have, there are lots of organizations, not just mine, but there are lots of organizations around that are getting donations and are given um, gloves and gowns to different areas. And of course, especially in our poor areas where people are not able to buy or have access, maybe they, even if they can afford it, they don't know where to get it. So we can actually have, you know, partner with different groups 
where we can have these masks distributed to people on the street or people in, uh, you know, to churches, have churches involved, different community leaders can get involved in helping to distribute these, these masks to make sure that our people, and especially people of the lower socioeconomic status, are being protected. To bounce off a question KG started a little while ago, what's your biggest concern of the country? Which section of the country now concerns you the most with this, this new outbreak of COVID-19? You're calling from, you're talking to me. Where are you talking to me from Houston, right now? Houston, Texas. All right. Uh, you know what's going on. That That's one of our hotspots, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's Just, one of our, are you wearing your gloves today? Are you wearing your mask today? Are you wearing your, are you wearing your mask today? Yeah, yes, I'm ma'am. We both have masks. Um, I, okay, I, I, so, I will be honest, uh, Lorna, I did stop wearing gloves maybe like two, three weeks out because I just figured what was the point if I'm wearing it, I'm touching this and this and this and this with the same gloves on that has been touching surfaces that may carry it. I just said, well, I'd rather just go bare hand and just wash my hands, you know, every time. Um, but, you know, that's not a bad idea. That is actually not a bad idea. The gloves, because what people do, sometimes they get the gloves and they have a false sense of security. Right. And you should you treat the glove as an extension of your hand. You shouldn't be touching anything with the gloves that you would not want to touch with your naked hand. Right. And you're probably better off touching it with your naked hand and then mm-hmm. sanitize your hand. Because yeah, your hand. if you're aware, you wash your hand, you're better off washing your hand more frequently than having the gloves and using your gloves to touch your face. Because that's one of the bad you know, the habits, uh, one of the things I always tell people, your hands love your face. Yeah. You wouldn't imagine how many times you use your hand to touch your face throughout the day. So if you're, when you put your gloves on, if you're going to see that glove, those gloves as a part of deterrence, not using it to touch your face, that's a good thing. But if you're going to use it and believing you have a false sense of security and you can touch everything and touch your face, then you're going to be in big trouble. Mm-hmm. So that's the issue with the gloves or the no gloves. And there's a special way to take your gloves on and off, uh, to put it on and to take it off. You must wash your hands before you put your gloves on. And there's a special way to take it off when you're getting ready to take it off, whether you're reusing it, you're washing it and reusing it, or throwing it in the trash. So now, these things are, you have to be very mindful of. Yes, and, and to piggyback off of that, to underscore that, still people, <laughs> it's so funny how people still don't want to adhere to wearing the masks. I mean, it's the least, it's the bare minimum that one can do and help, you know, combating mm-hmm. the transmission of it. Um, there's been a lot of analogies. I just want to know, uh, you know, just for fun, like what is the best analogy that you have used in, in terms of getting people to understand why they should wear a face mask or a face covering or uh, just one that you have seen? Because I've seen a lot, but you being a nurse, I want to know what analogy do you use to tell people to get people to wear the masks? Well, one of the things, uh, and if you listen to most of our media and what's going on in the, in the hospitals and what the nurses are crying out, I would pick it back right back into what the nurses are experiencing in the hospital and the pain that they're going through with you having to have your loved one in the hospital and can't see them. Mm. They're sick. They're dying. And you cannot even go there to hold their hands and tell them that it's okay or that you love them. You have to do it on the phone. 
or um, virtually. Mm-hmm. That should be enough to scare everyone or to make everyone be concerned. But the unfortunate thing about life and our lives, unless it's somebody next door to you and you know that person, it's really hard to get people to do the right thing. Because people don't care until it happens to them. But we have have to use the platform that we have. You have to use the platform that you have and just keep reinforcing it and maybe bringing on some of these people to your show that are experiencing these things to actually let them hear their own life experience with your audience. Maybe that will help to get them. But the mask is the only thing that we know that works right now. There is no vaccine. And it is shown, look at New York, what New York did. When it was a peak and they started wearing the mask and they started responding, people staying home and not going out. So I think this is very, very important. The mask does have some barrier and it does give some, some help. And I think we should listen and we should, if nothing else, yeah. Wash your hands, use your mask. Yeah, and, and I think that will go a long way for all of us individually and the community and our communities. Mm-hmm. And get tested if you can. And get tested. You know, we have uh, definitely bitten ourselves in the butt here in the state of Texas. You know, the last to close down and the first to open. And uh, and now we see these numbers. But the other thing to that point, KG, there's also a set of personal responsibility. So you can reopen, but I go mm-hmm. out. If I go to the grocery store, I'm wearing my gloves and I'm wearing my mask. I use hand sanitizer because I love my kids. So I get reopening, but yeah. there's a there's this social disconnect of because I you can't tell me what to do. So I'm just gonna be belligerent and mm-hmm. not wear a mask. But you're gonna spit on me, yeah. and you may give someone. The, the virus because you're asymptomatic. So stop being boneheads and put on a mask or use a glove or hand sanitizer. Help. That's it. And, and I mean, and it's, that's it. You it, it may be your right to not want to wear one, but hell, it's, it's, it's my right to not exactly. let you get me sick. Right. Put the mask on, man. That's how we have to look at it. And, you know, I look at our young people and especially the African-American, the black communities, you know, that we were told we were not going to be able to, we couldn't get it because, you know, we were whatever it is that we had, that we wouldn't get the, the virus at first, which was a, a lie. And we have a, we find out now that we're dying or morbidity and mortality rate is higher than anybody else. So how can we get it across to our people? I, watch, I look at the protest. I look at the march out there. And really, my heart is just heavy, just looking at those, these young people, because I believe in what they're doing, and I believe that it's great that they're out there. But you cannot do it if you're not healthy. We need them, and we need their voices. So in order for them to be healthy, they must do these measures. But I, a lot of them, I don't see them doing that. You know, so we need to make sure we educate them, continue to educate it, pound it, say it over and over and over to them the importance. If they don't love themselves, maybe they love their grandmother. Maybe they love their mothers. So if you don't care about yourself, think about who you care about, and that will maybe help you to want to wear the mask to protect yourself so that you can protect your grandmother from, getting, from dying or your family member from dying. So we have to get it around to them, across to them some kind of way so that it can hit them and make sure that they start wearing these masks. Because sometimes young people just think they're so invincible yeah. and nothing is going to happen to them. And even if they fight the disease, we don't know what's happening to their lungs. Mm-hmm. You know, their lungs are being damaged. You may recover from the virus, mm-hmm. but you don't know what's happening 
with the rest of your body and what it's going to do for your life down the line. So we have to be cognizant of all these things and just pound it into our community and to our friends and into our neighbors and make sure we try to get them to do the right thing. Indeed. The uh, petition is on change.org. Uh, it includes mandatory PPE supplies for all healthcare workers, uh, therapy and grief counseling for healthcare workers. Uh, Lorna, how, how can we as a people protect the, uh, the healthcare workers uh, during this time from a health perspective and uh, economically while I'm talking about that? Go back to the same thing. Protect yourself and you're helping to protect the nurses or but go ahead, sign my petition right now. Get on the, get to change.org. Lorna Lorna Johnson, pull it up. You'll see my petition there. Sign this petition so that we can get legislation passed. Once we get this legislation passed, then the nurses will have, you know, their mandatory PPEs and their COVID testing, mental health counseling and grieving grieving and health counseling, hazard pay, child care, transportation, things like that. So go sign the petition now and help us to protect these nurses. And in the meantime, you wear your mask, wash your hands, social distancing, stay in isolation if you have to, whatever you need to do, protect yourself, protect your country, protect the nurses. Do what you can do, what is in your hand to do. And these are basic things that every single one of us can do. Indeed. Lorna Johnson, the founder of... Uh, Lorna M. Johnson Global Institute, we want to thank you so much for mm-hmm. coming on the Public Affairs Podcast uh, because <laughs> this interview could not be more time. And I also make, if I may, numbers. if I may just interject a little bit, and I say to your mayor, Sylvester Turner, he's doing a good job. He just opened up some new testing sites. So make sure you encourage people to find out where these testing sites are and go get tested. And listen to your CDC, your CDC guidelines, listen to what your mayors are saying, and try to do the right thing. Get tested, wear your mask, social distancing, and all the wonderful stuff that we know how to do. Those are basic. Let's do them. Let's beat this virus. Let's not take control of us. We can take control. We have a say in it. it no, don't let the virus control you. Mm-hmm. We can try to control the virus by doing our basic responsibility to ourselves and to our community and to our country and to the system at large. Because if we do not do that, then the system is not going to be adequate to take care of your family when they get sick. So take care of the nurse, take care of the healthcare system, protect yourself, sign the petition, change.org, Lorna Johnson, get the legislation going. That's right. Change.org, Lorna Johnson. And Lorna, thank you for uh, talking to Houston and coming on the Public Affairs Podcast. Thank you so much, guys, for having me, KG and Larry. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. We appreciate you. And we'll be right back with more of the Public Affairs Podcast right after this. Welcome back to the Public Affairs Podcast, addressing local issues that affect our nation and shape our world. I'm your host, KG Smooth, along with Uncle Funk, Larry Jones, and what a marvelous day today, sir. Every day is a marvelous day. When we wake up, you know, looking down at the ground and not up at it, it it's it's always a good good one. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Uh, We still got issues going on as the pandemic uh, continues to take a devastating toll um, on Americans with chronic 
with chronic diseases such as diabetes and particularly, you know, our folks, low income, you know, minority, high risk communities. And so on the phone line today, we have the CEO of the American Diabetes mm-hmm. Association. Please welcome to the Public Affairs Podcast, Tracy D. Brown. Hi. Hi, KG and Larry. Thank you for having me this afternoon. Oh, thank well, you for coming Thank on. you, absolutely. And uh, as KG was mentioning, through COVID, a lot of uh, other issues are kind of being pushed. Well, I shouldn't say pushed to the side, but they're certainly not receiving the headlines right. and, and not being talked about it. So we appreciate you and your organization being with us today. You bet. Just give us a brief history on the American Diabetes Association. I mean, we've all heard of it. Um, people know about diabetes. They may not know about the different types uh, or the particulars of of the disease, but uh, just talk about the association and uh, how long you've been doing what you've been doing. <laughs> yeah, so the, the American Diabetes Association has been around for a very long time, um, since 1940. So we're, you know, an 80-year organization, and... If you go back um, to the words of our first uh, founder and president for the organization, it was very clear that the whole goal for the American Diabetes Association was to be there and fight for people living with diabetes. He talked about their medical, economic, and social problems would be our problem to help them solve while we continue to fight for a cure. So if you fast forward here now, 80 years later, we could use that same statement that we still are living in a time right now where diabetes is affecting one out of two people are either living with prediabetes or diabetes. That means everybody knows Somebody, And so our mission, which is to prevent and cure diabetes and to improve the lives of all people affected by diabetes, is as real and alive today as it was 80 years ago. And I talk about the fact that we have been living in a diabetes epidemic well before the COVID-19 pandemic. And I think this pandemic is now shining an even brighter light on the issues and the problems that have existed from a diabetes perspective. I've been living with type 2 diabetes now for 16 years, and I'm the first CEO in the 80-year history of our organization to run the organization that actually lives with diabetes. Shut so this up. is not only a personal fight, this is we need to do better and stop this diabetes epidemic. Well, Tracy, let, let me let me step in right now for anyone listening to the podcast who has heard the term diabetes but doesn't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Can you break break it down for us? Just exactly what is it and how many different types of diabetes are there? Yeah, so diabetes um, is driven by having elevated 
blood glucose levels, or you hear people talk about blood sugar. Mm -hmm. The sugar. <laughs> yeah, the sugar. <laughs> there are multiple types of diabetes, and that's why, you know, this is, it's, it's complicated and more and more research needs to be done, and that's why we haven't quite gotten a cure. But I want to talk to you about some of the popular or, or more well-known um, diabetes. There's type 1, which with type 1 diabetes, your pancreas no longer produces insulin. And insulin is what you need to handle, break down, and manage the blood sugars or the glucose, the added sugar in your blood system to break that down. When you have type 1 diabetes, your pancreas does not produce insulin full stop. And so, therefore... You need to be on insulin to live. Like you have to have that insulin, otherwise you will die. That is type 1. Type 2 diabetes, which um, the majority of the 34 million Americans who are living with diabetes have type 2 diabetes. And that means... Either your, your, your pancreas is not producing enough insulin and or you have insulin resistance, meaning you're producing insulin, but it's not as effective. Hmm. And so you need to do something to help manage. And so you can be a type 2 and insulin dependent, meaning you need insulin to break down those sugars to bring down your blood glucose levels. There's also gestational diabetes. Many women who are pregnant, um, the diabetes is triggered based off pregnancy. But for 80% of the women, after you have your baby, the diabetes goes away, um, goes back dormant. I actually started with gestational diabetes and I was in the 20% minority where it actually didn't go away. It turned into type two. So I talk about type one, type two gestational, but the, the fact of the matter is more and more research is telling us that maybe that's not even the right way to classify because there are many forms and many variations, but at the crux of the issue is you need insulin if your insulin, either you don't have it or it's not as effective to break down the sugars, you're going to have a problem with elevated blood sugars running through your body. And because this affects your blood, it affects every organ. That's why this is such a big deal. Mm -hmm. So when you were hearing that, you know, um, a lot of black and brown and low-income people um, with underlining health conditions were dying of COVID and that diabetes was like the main one for the blame of the high death rate for the high death rates of COVID. So what were your thoughts? What, what, what were you thinking in that moment? Like, well, this can't be like, we are the highest. So, you know, the first and foremost, um, you know, you have to, 
you have to ask yourself, there was a lot of um, misinformation out there initially where people mm-hmm. were saying, oh, uh, if you have an underlying condition like diabetes, like so diabetes is one, hypertension, right. chronic blood disease, yeah. uh, cardiovascular disease, obesity, these, these are all underlying conditions. Mm-hmm. There was this information that if you have an underlying condition, you are at higher risk to contract COVID-19. So first that was misinformation, but you can imagine as someone who lives with diabetes, like you're like, what? Oh my gosh, I, I need to actually right. take care of myself. Right. But then when you actually get the actual data, it's not that if you have an underlying condition that you are more likely to contract COVID-19. But what the data shows is that if you do have an underlying condition and you contract COVID-19, there is a higher risk that you will have poorer outcomes, meaning landing in the hospital with complications and or either death. There's also data, although not enough, we need more science around this to say that you are even at more risk if your your underlying condition is unmanaged. And so I just want to, um, I just want to, the, the, the latest data that, that, that I have suggests that, you know, 90% of the people who are hospitalized with COVID-19 have an underlying condition. But if I break it down by the types of underlying condition, actually 50% of those have hypertension, 48% have obesity, 35% have chronic lung disease, and then 28% have diabetes. So those, those are, you know, what the data is actually telling us. But if I get back to your question, here's what I immediately thought. Look, we already had a, a issue with diabetes in the first place. Every two minutes, this was pre-COVID, every two minutes somebody's dying from diabetes and its complications. Every two minutes somebody's having a stroke or some kind of heart issue. Every 10 minutes somebody's having kidney failure. And then every five minutes somebody is still in 2020 losing a limb from diabetes. Now you add on top of this, this COVID-19 virus that is affecting our communities at even higher rates, basically you say enough is enough. We have got to get ahead of not only COVID-19 and saving lives and helping people who have diabetes thrive, but we also have to figure out how to drive up the awareness so that people even know 80% of the people walking around this country with prediabetes Actually, it's even higher than 80%. It's like 90%. Don't even know it. We, we not only have an awareness problem with diabetes and people living with diabetes, now we have this invisible COVID thing happening too. It's just not good. How does your organization uh, get the word out of, of what steps need to be taken? And I'm, I'm, I'm referring to, will more testing during the COVID help? How do we get those who... I, I'm, it, I, I want to find the silver lining in all of this because it's just got to be. So the, the silver lining from my perspective is I hope um, 
my hope is that with COVID-19 and everything that was happening in this country, and now the racial unrest that is happening in this country, that we have shined a, a light on these long-term institutionalized issues that have existed in this country, and that people's humanity, the humanness of who we are, has been touched in such a way that they are actually now open to hearing and open to changing behavior. That's the silver lining that I'm, I am looking for. And so when COVID-19 hit, the way that we have actually started to try and get around this thing and trying to help as many people living with diabetes thrive is two things. One, there's a real financial burden for people who are living with diabetes. In fact, our medical costs are about two and a half times those who don't have diabetes. And so there's a real financial burden. And so one of the first things that we did as it relates to COVID is we pushed and continue to push zero copay insulin and zero copay prescription drugs as it relates to diabetes. Here's what we know. If you are not taking your medications to manage that blood sugar level in your body, that leads to complications. That'll land you in the hospital and your you know, your ability to fight off a COVID-19 is not as great. So we press for that because we don't want people not taking their medicine. The second thing is, and, and I will say, recently um, worked with Congresswoman uh, Maxine Waters, and she's j just uh, dropping a piece of legislation to push for this zero copay insulin and uh during this COVID-19 time. The second is continuity of health insurance coverage. I mean, if, if we talk about 40 million people have now lost their jobs as it relates to uh, COVID-19, and if you think about Texas, you know, I, I, I lived in Austin and I lived in Dallas, so I keep my eyes on Texas still a bit, 2.4 million Texans have filed for unemployment since the start of the pandemic. We got to make sure that people have a continuity of health insurance coverage because here's what we know as well. Nine times out of 10, when you lose your job, you lose your health insurance. And there's all kinds of data already out there that tell you those who are uninsured have poor health outcomes, full stop. So we've been pushing for continuity of health coverage. And Speaker Pelosi in the uh, latest iteration of um, the emergency stimulus package, she has in there the continuity of health coverage. And then the third is bringing the COVID-19 testing to the communities that need it, i.e. lower income communities and communities of people of color. Why? why? Why is this so important? We already talked about the fact that there's a disproportionate number of people who are hospitalized and or dying from COVID-19 that have diabetes and that are people of color. As we continue and states continue to open all across this country, we know that there are places where the cases and the deaths 
for COVID-19 are still increasing. The way to get ahead of this and really start to create a, 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 a better uh, outcome is you've got to get these testings to the people that need it. And nine times out of ten, the folks that are living in the lower income or communities of color either can't afford to not go to their job every day because they need the income or they're quote unquote in these essential jobs, which means they're showing up at every day and potentially at higher exposure to COVID-19 and with so many asymptomatic people walking around could be bringing COVID-19 back to their community. That's why uh, we've linked up with Congressman Bobby Rush and we are pushing for testing in these communities. So those are the three things and my silver lining is hopefully people's aperture to knowing that we have to do better. This is a human problem, right? This is a, a this is a all of us problem. We got to do better. Well, I, I I know Bobby Rush personally, and uh, he he's 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 an old school bulldog. And if anyone between him and Miss Maxine, and you've got a team that's working for you, so I believe this this will come to pass. I um, I'm curious, so Tracy, how are you managing your diabetes, and how are you how are you physically right now? So I will tell you, um, and thank you for for asking that question. I I am thriving um, with 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 my diabetes, and that's part of the reason I even joined the American Diabetes Organization. Um, you know, I I have spent the bulk of my career in the for profit space. Uh, and prior to joining the ADA, uh, was the chief marketing and operations officer for um, Walmart Sam's Club. But I have not been and was not satisfied with the plight of diabetes in this country. And, you know, my mother has always said you can either stand on the sidelines and complain about a thing or you can get in there and try and make, make some change. And so... I wanted to start to show people that you actually, you know, diabetes doesn't have to be a death sentence, right? Like you can thrive with this disease and do any and everything that you want. So while I started being insulin dependent through changing my um, eating, my exercise, my sleep, my stress, I have been able to really Manage my diabetes. I got off of insulin. I was on four oral medications. I'm down to one. And the truth of the matter is, I could really get off that one. I wear a continuous glucose monitor and I just check my glucose. And I will proudly tell you, it's 71 right now. That is a level that people who don't have diabetes typically have. So I am thriving and I want people to understand. They can do it too. We don't have to succumb to this disease. And as a strong leader, you're leading by example, and I'm so happy that you shared your story with us. And we're going to leave that as the final word. KG and Larry, thank you so much uh, for what you're doing to actually get this very important information out. Um, and I will say to, to both of you, um, hopefully you know, what your diabetes numbers are. If you don't know your A1C and you don't know your blood glucose levels, please, please, please get them checked. And finally, to you and your families, please stay well and stay safe. 
Thank you, Tracy. Thank you. And for all listening, thank you for being a part of the Public Affairs Podcast.